starting from verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who have not, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not, must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonour God by the breaking of the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is indeed is in is of a value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? 
then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code. One is a Jew who is one is merely one outward. Sorry, let me start that again. Verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Keep your Bibles open there and we'll work our way through that. Please pray with me before we begin. Heavenly Father, again I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together to both encourage one another, to uphold one another in prayer, to to cast our cares and our burdens upon you and to to have you to minister to us this morning. Lord, I now pray that as we go through this chapter in Romans, this, this heavy chapter, I pray that you would minister to each of our hearts, that we would hear from you, that we would not harden our hearts, that we would not be impenitent toward you. Lord, that we would be ministered to you by your Spirit this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recapitulation is one of my favourite words. Big words make you sound smart. That's why we shorten it to recap. So that's the word I'm going to use. Let's do some recap. We've started our series through Romans and we've looked at chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, 17, and then 18 to 32 last week. And in 1 to 17, Paul has introduced himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. He's announced that he has good news from the king. Not the king of Rome, but the king of the universe, of the earth. And Paul sums up his gospel in Romans 16 and 17, and he says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And this is how he explains it in verse 17. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. Which means that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed. God, God's righteousness that he has accomplished for, for us, God himself has accomplished that. That in Christ's life, death and resurrection, God has accomplished for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. That the righteousness that he demands from us, he freely gives to us, not on the basis of of works, but on the basis of our faith. And this is why Christianity is good news. This is why Christianity is different from all other religions, is that It is God providing for us in Christ what we could never provide for ourselves. That is a a righteousness that is good enough to have God's favour. God gives it to us freely 
if we stop relying on ourselves and start trusting in him. And following on from that, from last week, from, from the first sermon, was our passage from last week, where Paul says that the Gentiles who do not acknowledge God as creator and judge have been handed over, have been essentially let go by God. And they will just continually get further and further and further away from God. And in this week's passage, Paul is now addressing those who, out of the previous passage, may have been sitting back and thinking, yeah, those Gentiles, they are bad, aren't they? These moralists, these Jewish people who had the law and and they boasted in that. They may have been sitting back and thinking, I'm glad I'm not like those people. And what Paul is saying here is that we all need this gospel. Not just the Gentiles, not just the Jewish people, but humanity in general. Paul is saying that that all the Gentiles are sinners and in need of salvation. And today's text, he says, all of the Jewish people, all of humanity need this gospel as well. Maybe picture it this way. Paul was, was painting the picture of a courtroom and all of humanity are on trial, but first the Gentiles have come in. Of course, God is at the, the judgment seat. He's in the seat at the front of the room and he's got the big gavel, gavel? that big hammer thing. He's the judge. And into the courtroom come the Gentiles. And Paul, the attorney for the prosecution, starts laying out all the evidence against the Gentiles, proving that they are guilty. And sitting in the jury box are those religious people, the Jewish nation, sitting there and thinking, yes, these Gentiles are are bad. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is what that is. This is what Paul is saying in verse 1. He says, you guys are hypocrites. How can you sit there and judge the people when you do the very same thing? You have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This argument for for everyone needs the gospel continues on into Romans 3.20. Why does he think that we need such a long section for us to agree with him that everyone needs this gospel? Do we really doubt the fact that we need the gospel? Heck, yes, we do. We suppress the truth because it's so uncomfortable. We may be willing to make some general kind of concessions and think, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not perfect. Uh, Nobody's perfect. But not many of us are, are willing to admit that deep down inside that we are really, really flawed. 
that we are proud, that we are selfish, that we are rebellious against God, that we are idolaters and gossips and evil and covetous and malicious and envious and slanderers and foolish and faithless and heartless and ruthless. And therefore we are separated from God and in need of what the Bible calls salvation. Instead, sometimes we just think, yeah, I'm okay. I go along to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I give a tenth of my income to, to God's work. God has blessed me, and so therefore I'm able to do that. You see, hypocrisy is one thing that turns people away from church, folks. We head out the door on a Sunday morning from home, headed to church with our Bible tucked under our arm or or in our mobile phone. But then we live for the rest of the week however we want, thinking that church on Sunday makes me okay. And the people that Paul is speaking to here were doing those very same things. The Jewish Christians that that thought because they had Abraham as their father, because they had the law, because they had circumcision, because they did all the right things and ticked all the right boxes, they thought that they were more eligible to be saved than the Gentiles in chapter 1, 18 to 32. They were passing judgment on those outside of God's favour. What, who they thought were outside of God's favour. They were making a judgement not, not based on who God was or, who, or what God's judgement was, but on their own standard. And we do the same sort of thing, don't we? We may not be acknowledging it or, or conscious of it sometimes, but we do the same thing. We pass judgement on those outside of the church And we go as far as to say, I won't share the gospel message with those people because they won't need it. They won't won't accept it. If a particular associate pastor had had made that sort of judgment... A number of years ago, there would be a whole family who would not be here today. If a particular associate pastor had not, uh, had not shared the gospel message with the family that drank, smoked, no, I don't think they smoked, they swore they were living together and not married, they were having kids out of wedlock, they were covered in tattoos. If a particular associate pastor had not have built a relationship with those, that family and brought them to Jesus and shared God's grace with them, we wouldn't have had the preacher we had last week. Again, judging people in this way is hypocrisy in the highest degree. What we should be overcome with is the fact that we are saved by grace. We are, are, 
are sinners in the highest degree and that we are saved by grace. And if God can save us, he can save anyone. When we judge someone ineligible for the message of the gospel, we're actually condemning ourselves. We're thinking of more highly than a, of ourselves than we ought. We have a limited understanding of God's grace if this is the case. If we are able to be saved, then God can save anyone. And Paul is a testament to that. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. And yet he had something to boast in if he was a Jewish person. He was a Jewish person. If he continued to be a Jewish person, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was circumcised on the eighth day and he goes into this later in the chapter. But today he says that what God's kindness and patience should lead us to is repentance. What God's kindness and patience and forbearance should do is lead us to repentance. Continual tense, which means that we have a profound change of mind and heart, that we hate sin and we hate hypocrisy, and that we turn to Jesus in humility and faith and we say, Jesus, you're my only hope. And we trust him for the promises of forgiveness and help and life that he bought for us when he died and rose again. Look at this verse. Or do you presume or think lightly upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do we think lightly of God's kindness? Do we ever sin and and just think, it's okay, God will forgive me? He's a forgiving God? Do we presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience with us? I've had a horrible time preparing this message this week because I'm not a patient person especially when I'm behind the wheel of my car. I was on my way down here yesterday morning to to actually practice this sermon and finish it off when someone did a U-turn in front of me and then reversed out into my my, um, path. And I had to brake pretty heavily. And I gave him an extended honk of the horn... And it struck me. You're not very patient, Dale. All he did was reverse out in front of me. Aren't you glad God's not as patient or he's more patient than I am? I'm glad. God's kindness... Patience and forbearance is meant to lead us to repentance. 
The first thing that we need to repent of is our limited understanding of repentance. Our limited understanding of repentance means sometimes we just think repentance is just saying sorry. No, repentance is much more than that. Repentance is saying sorry, turning from your sin, turning to God and and going much deeper with him. Shallow repentance leads to shallow solutions for sin. Sometimes we as the church lead people to repentance, but then we don't take them any deeper than just below the surface of that repentance. We say, you admit you're a sinner. That's great. Now let's heap upon you the the religious goods and services to compensate for your spiritual deficit. Here's our long list of menu of of youth groups and home groups and church services and, and prayer groups. Don't get me wrong, unless there's a change of heart, these are shallow solutions because they will not provide a solution at all. It just heaps up more burdens upon us. It just burdens us all the more. This year marks the 500th anniversary of the the Reformation, actually on Tuesday, the 31st of October, where Martin Luther hammered his um, 95 theses to the door of the Roman Catholic Church. And he began his rebuke on the church for the sale of indulgences. And his number one thesis was when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he wanted the whole life of believers to become a life of repentance. Can't get it. Luther rejected this shallow approach to repentance. But that didn't mean that he denied the special importance of the of the church. Far from it. He he said that the local church provides people with a, a spiritual community that they can't get anywhere else. We would all be lost and hopeless if we didn't have the gospel. And the local church and its members is the avenue that God uses for making it available to everyone. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist... Thank you. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, John the Baptist saw the Pharisees coming towards him and he... He said to them, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Just as the Jews cannot presume upon God's kindness and forbearance and patience, we cannot as well. We cannot think that just because our our parents were Christians or are Christians or that we come along to church on a Sunday or that we go to home group one night during the week or we pray or we read our Bible through the Bible reading plan that we're okay. Shallow repentance has has us asking ourselves, what will satisfy my soul? Whereas real repentance recognises that this isn't the question at all. Real repentance says, what will satisfy God's anger and justice against my sin? And it's not Bible reading programs and it's not prayer meetings. It's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's his grace. And yet bearing fruit in keeping with repentance is a continual lifestyle. Just as John the Baptist said to the Pharisees to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, James tells us to do the same as well in his letter to the, to the Jews. He says that our confession of faith should produce in us works of righteousness. There's a bit of a conundrum here. I don't want you leaving this morning thinking that you must do more. I must read my Bible more. I must pray more. Or that you have to go and share the faith with with someone else from the the nearest 7-Eleven. I don't want you to leave here thinking that there's more things to do. But I don't also want you thinking that there's nothing to do. I don't want you to leave here with a hard and impenitent heart towards God. Don't be storing up wrath for yourselves. Have a look at verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. I don't want you leaving here this morning feeling as though you need to read and pray more, or share your faith, because that won't save you. It won't change you. In the latter half of the the chapter here, Paul lists out the things that the Jews held dear as, as distinctives of their religion. Obeying the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws that continued on from that. Circumcision and the fact that they were God's chosen people. But he calls into account that none of this is of value if if there's no change of heart. None of this is of value unless there is a change of heart by God's Holy Spirit. Just as we saw on that video this morning, religion will not save you. It may be hard to hear for you, some, some of you. Coming to church will not save you. Reading your Bible will not save you. Baptism cannot save you. 
Participating in communion will not save you. Your parents being Christians will not save you. Reading your Bible out of obligation will not save you. None of these things will save you unless there's a a continual change of heart, a heart of repentance towards God. And that can only come by the work of his Holy Spirit. It can only happen if we allow God's Spirit to change us, to make us different from our old self. To give us opportunities to exercise patience. What are we relying on to change us? What are we relying on for our our children to change, to come to know God? Are we telling them that they must do all of these things in order to be real Christians or are we teaching them that they must experience Jesus for themselves because kindness and forbearance and patience only comes through Jesus? This kind of kindness that leads them to repentance. Are we teaching them that that obedience to God's law comes through gratitude and not through obligation? Are we teaching them who Jesus really is? Big question mark. If we are relying on religion to change us or even to change our children, then we're going to be sorely disappointed. Being a child of God and and being part of God's kingdom does not come from religion. And it comes not of anything that we can do in and of ourselves as well. Being a child of God is a matter of the heart. Having our old sinful self changed by God's spirit, not by the letter. Having our old sinful self changed by God's overwhelming grace and kindness and patience and forbearance. And having God's kindness lead us to repentance. That's what we should be relying on to change us. This isn't to say that we don't have anything more to do. God changes us through his spirit, but he also changes us through experiences as well. He gives us good works to pursue. And these good works look like, out of the goodness of his mercy and grace in our lives, to be able to stand up for the vulnerable, to feed the hungry, to house the poor, to speak out against injustice, to speak up for those who don't have a voice. We should be overwhelmed by God's grace, folks. That it changes us, that it doesn't leave us the same. God meets us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us there. Have a look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This does not mean that all people will be saved, however. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, 
and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous, i.e. passionate, for good works. What does Paul focus on when he's talking to Titus there? He's focusing on the grace of God and that that should change us into being a people purified for his good works, to bring him glory. Not religion, not hypocrisy, not self-righteousness, but to be saved by his grace and his grace alone. To admit that we're all in need of a saviour. To live a life of repentance, continual repentance. And to go from there with being able to do good works because God has done a good work in us first. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the book of Romans, for the challenging message that Paul brings to us, that it is only by your grace and your grace alone, challenging and encouraging. It is only by your grace that we can be saved, not by religious works, not by anything that we have done in and of ourselves, Lord, the only thing that we bring to the table is the sin that made our salvation possible. And Lord, I thank you for being patient with us. I thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your forbearance with us. Lord, lead us into a deeper sense of your repentance, repentance that leads to to a life of holiness and godliness. Lead us into a, a sense of, of how great your goodness and your mercy is towards us. Lord, may we go from this place this morning encouraged in that you don't leave us where we currently are. Lord, help us to not go from here with hard hearts towards you. If there is something that, that needs to be done this morning, something that needs to be repented of, would we come to you in repentance? Not just to say sorry, but to turn from it. To, to go from here with a, a deeper sense of repentance. To go from here with a deeper sense of your kindness and your patience. And to live this week, not just surviving, but thriving. Help us to understand the things that you use to change us. Help us to understand that those around us also need your goodness and your mercy. Give us the words this week to plant seeds in the lives of those around us. 
Lord, again, thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.